Hello, I hope you're having a good weekend. This is Joe Martin. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church, Toledo, in rainy Toledo, Washington. The rainiest spring we've had in a long time, but praise the Lord, there'll be great backpacking and outdoor times and maybe no big forest fires or smoke for us. Grateful for that. And I want to talk to you as we're going through the Gospel of Luke carefully, verse by verse. I want to talk to you about, maybe it doesn't seem like a very original title, but how to follow Jesus. You know, many, many names have been given to those who say they believe in Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's some of those names that I won't repeat because, well, they just aren't appropriate for this kind of a setting. Sometimes uh, people will identify themselves as Christian. Um, The term Christian, you'll find in the book of, it wasn't the first title for for followers of Jesus, they were, or believers in Jesus, they were called Christians. Actually, sometime later, um, into the into Christian history, um, started in Antioch. Antioch, Christoph, or followers of the Christoph, or some translators, little Christ, or reflections of Christ. It was kind of a kind of a slang term, um, kind of like Baptist was considered to be kind of a mocking term, but it kind of stuck. So there's the Christian. Or there is the one of the early uh, ways people identified believers in Jesus was it was called the way, and I realize some cult groups have grabbed onto that, but it was called the way. Um, and then maybe in our day, people will say believers. They're believers. Is he a believer? So that's common. Maybe in the more kind of general culture, they'll say, well, they're church folks, or they're church-going people. Um, that would be one way that followers of Jesus was communicated. But, um, you know, one of the things that we need to come back to is the very basic thing is where I started is we are called to be followers. We are called to follow. This is what Mark one seventeen says. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men are the people that capture men's hearts. Mark 1.18 says, immediately those early ones that first heard that, they left their nets and they followed him. Going a little further, verse 19, it says, going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servant and went away to follow him. This was the call, was to follow And if we do as we're told, if you do as you're told, and I do as I'm told by him, well, you and I will be followers of Jesus. But there are lots of things that are said and done by people who say they are following Jesus that have been really terrible. I mean, some of the terrible things in history, some of the great criticisms against um, Jesus have been not because of anything Jesus did, but because of what those who claim to follow him did. Great things, terrible things, by individuals sometimes thinking they were following Jesus, um, misguided zeal, and by groups claiming to follow Jesus. There are many groups that have all kinds of um, agendas, and so this is such a this is such a so real that the word you know believer or even the word follower has been kind of. Be- began to be mixed in with other words that aren't so great, like hypocrite. 
are, in the case of um, much of colonialism, the conqueror or the conquistadorian or the crusader or sometimes the killer. That's what tribal people would call um, people that said they were Christians. And in recent years, sometimes the abuser. These have been added to the names associated with Jesus and his people. As a matter of fact, one friend of mine was saying in his college work, he identified as a Christian, and they said, oh, isn't that a political party? There's um, actually groups that do identify themselves in that way. It seems clear that the enemy to our souls, the devil, seeks to keep us from truly following Jesus at all costs to get us distracted or preoccupied in other ways, and to even deceive people into evil actions done in Christ's name. A lot of evil has been done in Christ's name. It wasn't his fault. Matthew 7.15, Jesus warned us too. This is why he said, as he came to the end of the um, Sermon on the Mount, he knew how easily it would be, how easily people could be moved aside. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He went on to say, you're going to know them by their fruits. He explained later what he was talking about in John chapter 13, about the fruit that you were supposed to be able to identify Christians by, you know. Uh, he says, a new commandment I give to you, in verse 34, I that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by this thing, this one thing, all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. As a matter of fact, um, John said later in First John three fourteen, by this we know that we have passed from death into life by our love for the brethren. You know, um, later on, the Apostle Paul warned those Christian leaders in Acts twenty twenty eight: Be on your guard yourselves for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, many savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves they'll draw them away from jesus to themselves we've seen a lot of that right people saying stuff that's embarrassing christian leaders on tv are are making all kinds of assertions that are public their personal opinions but have very little to do really nothing to do with jesus at all acts twenty thirty one. therefore be on the alert that's what you and i Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. My job is to make you be alert and to help you be alert against these false teachers and deceivers. And sometimes they're not bad people. They're just deceived too. That's what happens when we're deceived. We end up deceiving others. So all that being said, how do you follow without being turned off, without being distracted, without being um, in some way deceived? Well, let's go back to the very beginning. It's always good to go back to the basics. This is where Jesus starts out, the shift in the book of Luke, chapter 9, where he moves from his public ministry to expanding his ministry through working with others. With all these vast differences in those first disciples, those first apostles, they had huge differences between them in politics. You know, you you had a zealot who was super anti Roman, and then you had a tax gatherer who worked for the Romans. You had 
differences in class. Some were working class, some weren't, and in personality. And yet Jesus calls them together. And so that brings me to the first thing. If we go back to the start, the first thing you do in following Jesus is you get together. You get together with those people God has put you with. Not the people that all agree with you or think like you, look like you, vote like you, but people that Jesus puts you with. Jesus chooses to do his work through people like you and I, through followers, and he calls them together to do it because apart from being together, we can't do it at all. You see, he calls them to do it. And not because it's the easiest way or because he couldn't do it, but because he wants us to do it in a way that will be unexplainable. This is where he begins to make it clear he has plans beyond just his earthly ministry. And that earthly, that that plan is the church, what he's going to do with us. He calls them together to be, as I said, the unexplainable community. And this is why the greatest danger to his cause and the greatest danger to the church individually or as a group, is not the devil um, from without or all of these, you know, these existential threats. They're not the big danger. The, the greatest danger to his cause is disunity. He calls them together. He calls them to get together. And he calls them to stay together. But for this to happen, they must receive his power. That's point two. Luke 9, 1, he says, On that day Jesus called his twelve disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. Power over the devil and his helpers. You know, it's an amazing thing to me how many Christians I listen to, quote, quote, church folks, or um, people that are professing believers, how they're so full of fear all the time. They're, you'd think their lives are an armed camp. They are full of fear. They're fear, afraid of others. They're afraid of anybody who's different. They're afraid of anybody who has a different opinion. They're afraid of everything. I, I often think back of, of parents that would come in and they were, they were you know, just completely um, terrified because somebody had given one of their kids one of those little transformer toys and somebody had told them, some TV or radio guy, that these were all demonic things. It was just a plastic transformer toy. Now, now, the intent of it didn't really matter. It's still just a plastic toy, and yet they lived in total fear of this stuff. You know, think about what First John uh, one, First uh, John four four says. It says, "You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world." You know, I think there's a lot of you that may be living in fear because you deep down think think he that is in the world is greater than he that is in you. But I'm going to tell you that's not true. He gave his people power, starting with the 12 and then going out, to bring healing, to have power over the devil, but also to bring healing. You know, followers of Jesus have understood this to be part of the ministry, the work of Christ. You know, the first hospitals that were ever ever constructed were were by Christians, somebody named Basil, the earliest one we know of. And almost all medical care has been begun, has its infancy, and is conducted, get this, by people who are following Jesus. Many of you that are in medicine or in in some form of medicine or related to that, 
you don't even realize it, that what you are doing is really a part of his mission to bring healing. Now, not to say that there wasn't miraculous healing, but there was way more to it than just that. You see, you have to receive his power for this work. And that brings me to the third thing. You need to share his message along with it. He says, and then he sent them out, verse 2, to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Isn't that great? Those two go together. You know, the, the, the kingdom of God is really about being under the rulership of God. The kingdom of heaven is here, that you put yourself under the rulership of God. You surrender to the, him as your king, and you enter into a joyful acceptance that you are subjects in his kingdom, that you can pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In my life right now on earth, just like it is in heaven. You know how his will is done in heaven? Without resistance. God, whatever you want to do. Jesus recognized that this was the critical message, that we're preaching the kingdom. And that kingdom, of course, gets filled in with the message of the cross and the power of the resurrection. But in the end, our faith brings us to that place of surrender. You see, and Jesus recognized that this power had was an, it, it had had a capacity um, to corrupt us, to corrupt anybody. Power can corrupt, as we have seen in our own experience of people who are maybe politicians or even preachers or in other places of, of, of power. But And that's why Jesus told them, the next thing I want you to do as part of your training is rely on me completely. How do you follow Jesus? Rely on Jesus completely. Luke 9, 3, take nothing for your journey. He's sending them out. He instructed them, Do, don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Now, he's, he's, he's training them. Now, it seems obviously that one thing that when you read that you think, is he trying to train them to avoid materialism? I'd say that that's probably true. That's part of it. It's an important part of this verse. Um, he's saying, don't use your authority to gain for yourself. You know, you don't need jets or millions you don't need all of that, and we'll talk more about it. But we, I, was, I looked up a list. You could do it. It's kind of mind-boggling. The 20 or the 10 richest preachers in the world or the 20, 10 richest um, pastors in America. It was pretty shocking, and I was going to talk about it, but then I thought, I can't really know that stuff for sure. But it did shock me that tens of millions of dollars that people had. And it also shocked me that there was a few, not many of them, maybe one or two, that really took their wealth and gave most of it all away, which was was impressive. You know something? Um, Jesus is saying, no, you guys are going to be different. You're going to avoid materialism. But this verse is more than just about that. It's also about training your security to be in Him and Him alone to prove the promises of God. I want you to go out like there's a program for outdoor training called Outward Bound. They send people out with basically nothing but a few matches for a few days, and they've got to figure out how to how to make it. They're learning how to depend on their skill set. Well, Jesus is sending these fellows out and sends us out with the idea, I want you to learn how to rely on me, that your security is going to be in me and me alone which will make you able, once you get to this place, to do the fifth thing, which is to practice contentment. 
You know, being content is pretty rare. I don't meet many people. There are times even in my own life where I find it elusive. But, you know, um, Jesus was saying, I want you to learn how to be content. Don't move around looking for a better place to stay when you go someplace. Don't keep trying to move up and to the right all the time. Be content with your church. You know, we live in a day where churches work against each other. Tragically, in our county, you know, we're not really seeing that many people reach for the gospel for the most part. What people do is just change members. They just take members from this group and they just move them around. There's a few churches that have reached a lot of people, but then they just get moved around. You see, this idea of the church or you as an individual always thinking, well, it's all about the bottom line. It's up and to the right, bigger and better. We've cultivated within our Christian uh, culture this idea that you, as a part of a church, are a customer. You are a consumer. And we need to appeal to you. And we need to keep up with somebody down the street in order to keep you happy. You see, this is really dangerous. And it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus said following him looks like. The church will cater to um, people as customers instead of as disciples. That's not the same thing. You know, this is also true for people in ministry. You know, there's a lot of people that are in, in church ministry, working for churches, that it's about career advancement. But here's what Jesus said. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. I guess that means that when I came to Toledo to the household of faith here, I've been here for 42 years. I guess I took that pretty seriously. But there was a lot of pressure of always trying to promote yourself to a bigger and more prestigious church or ministry. Always trying to promote yourself is the exact opposite of living a life of contentment. And remember that contentment for you, whether you're a preacher watching this or whether you are a a churchgoer, contentment is not automatic. You know, we have a whole society of church hoppers nowadays just kind of shopping around. But contentment is not automatic for your church or for your work. Few have it. And if you're going to get it, you have to practice it. You have to learn it. That's what Paul said. Philippians 4.11, he said, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul didn't have it either. He had to learn it. And you know how he learned it? He learned by getting to a baseline, accepting those training of discipleship. Like 1 Timothy 6.80 says, If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Let me ask you something. Are you content with food and and covering because that's what God says you should be content with. You say, well, what about all the other stuff I have? Cars and a big screen TV and and uh, lots of lots of lots more than just covering. I have a super nice house, which um, you know what? All of those things need to be held like this. God, they're yours to use any way you want, and they also need to just be seen as great blessings, way beyond content. So, I think it was. Socrates said, to whom little is not enough, nothing is enough. It's really true. We have to be different from that. But then lastly, number six, how do you follow Jesus? Well, don't force, don't force yourself on other people. Don't force yourself. Don't push yourself on others. If people, you share the message, you share your life, you share your love. But if people refuse it, you have to accept that. Give God room. Don't try and play God with people. 
You aren't going to save anybody. You just tell people. You point to the Savior, and once you have done that, you have no more responsibility. You pray for him. Here's what he says. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. It's up to them, between them and God. God wants them to make their own decision. Make it clear in a loving and in a in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results up to God. You'd be surprised. You share it. You make sure they understand it. You love them. Pray for them. But you, you don't you don't you don't um, force yourself on people. Don't feel resentment toward people that don't accept what you have to say or resist you or debate with you. Don't feel guilty because they necessarily haven't uh, immediately received it yet. Move on, Jesus says. Jesus called them together. He called us together. And he empowered them and he empowered us. And he told them and he told us to do certain things. To preach the kingdom. To heal the sick. To learn contentment. And guess what they did? They did it. Are you doing that? Are we doing that? We want to. This was the beginning where we see Jesus working through others. Isn't it an amazing thing that he chose to work through imperfect people like us? That Jesus trusted his reputation (laughs) with people like us. Doesn't make any sense, but he did it. But if we remember our purpose, the the good news will get out just like it always does. And it will be good news, not bad news. You see, when people truly follow Jesus and his call, amazing things happen. Verse 6 of chapter 9 says, So they began to circuit. They began their circuit of the villages, maybe the little towns around here, preaching or sharing or proclaiming the good news. It's good news, not bad news. And healing the sick. That means fixing what was broken. That's what we do. That's what you following Jesus looks like. I can't tell you where to start, but I know he will. He calls you together. And I'm glad that you're watching this. And I hope that you are connected with the community. You, you see, the Christian life is not an individual journey. It's a group journey. It's a group sport. We're called an ecclesia, those that are called together. That's what the word church means. I hope that you will. And I hope maybe that you will come and visit in person um, our ecclesia. You can catch our services in person at, at uh, 8 o'clock or 9.30, which is an outdoor service, and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings at TFBC in Toledo. But you can also uh, share this message with others and maybe talk about it. You know, if you would like to respond to this message, you can do that by going to the below your screen, and there'll be a link there that you can go to, and it'll be for the next steps. And you might... These would be some possible next steps. Now, you can put a prayer request or whatever you want there, but I'm trusting Jesus and I want to follow him. That's never, I've never been happier than to hear that. I want Jesus to give me his power to share his message and healing. And if you ask him, he will, but get ready. He's going to give you opportunity. And then you may want us to pray this way for you. Pray, I will learn contentment. We will pray that you learn contentment. Well, thank you for watching this. God bless you. Have a great weekend. And um, I'm looking forward to 
being able to share more with you as we go along.